Amen. So if you're just joining us or if you've got a bad memory, we are in week three of a series that we called From Ruin to Redemption. And what we're doing is we're looking at the story of the book of Ruth, which is tucked away in the Old Testament of the Bible. And uh, to bring up the speed, if you haven't been with us, the story so far basically is this. There, there is a lady, I'll get her name right this week, which is a good starting point. There's a lady called Naomi, and Naomi and her husband Elimelech lived in Bethlehem, a name you'll be familiar with. And the, there was a famine in the country, there was no food around, so Elimelech took his wife and their two sons, and they went to Moab, which was a, a absolute heathen nation nearby. And they went there, the two sons in time came to marry Moabite women. But then tragedy struck the family. First, Elimelech, the father, died. And then after that, the two sons both died. So these three ladies were left there, vulnerable, and with no one to provide for them in this foreign country. And Naomi heard that back in Bethlehem, by this time, things were getting better. So she said to her daughters-in-law, look, why don't you stay here and go back to your families here? And I'm going back to Bethlehem. And one of them did that, but the other one, Ruth, said, no, I'm going to go with you wherever you go. So she went back to Bethlehem with Naomi. So they arrive in Bethlehem, but they've got nothing. And so Ruth goes out to glean in the fields. That is, she picked up what the harvesters left behind. One of, the, one of the, the Old Testament laws was that when someone came to gather the harvest in a field, the harvesters could only make one pass through that field. They could not go back for anything they had missed. But anything that was left was there to provide for the poor. I'm mentioning that again this week because I want you to know that is a biblical principle from way back in the beginning. God's people need to make provision for the poor. And so, so Ruth, Ruth said to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go and glean in the fields. And that's what she did. And we looked at that last week. And the field she went in belonged to a guy by the name of Boaz. And Boaz um, was really kind to her. And he told his servants, make sure she's okay, make sure she gets plenty, and make sure nobody gives her a hard time. And that was about it. Ruth goes home that first night, tells Naomi what had happened. And Naomi said, well, it looks like God hasn't given up on us after all. And that's where we left it last Sunday, okay? So we're going to pick it up from there this week. And I, I entitled the, the section we're going to look at this week in chapter 3, I called it New Beginnings. Because this is where things really start now to turn around. Ruth had begun to glean in the fields of Boaz, so they had something to eat and they weren't totally destitute. But here's the reality. You can't spend the rest of your life picking up leftovers in the fields. It's like, it's a great stopgap. And you do what you got to do sometimes, but that's not living life. And there's so many people in our world, and maybe some of you here this morning, who are still spending life scraping around for what will satisfy. 
and you haven't found it yet. The new job was the answer to your prayers, but actually it didn't do it. It didn't fill that gap. The new wife was a godsend, but that didn't do it. No disrespect to the new wife, but I'm saying that didn't fill, that didn't fill dangerous territory here, right? So, but that didn't fill the void inside. Or sometimes it's like, if I could just get my dream car, right? You ever, ever get that? I pulled up here this morning, there's a bright yellow Mustang out front. And I thought, wow, that's a car. But you get your dream car and your car doesn't, you know, the, the car doesn't fill the, the void inside. And some of you know from firsthand experience, you've tried other things. Drugs didn't rescue you. They screwed you up more. The career success you yearned for just added unbearable levels of stress to your life. You're scraping around for something that will satisfy. And here's the answer. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God is the author of new beginnings. When we're looking for what's going to fulfill and satisfy and, and, and is going to complete us, the answer is this. It's found in Christ. Because when you come to trust Christ, you become a new creation. The old thing's gone, new things have come, and Jesus makes us new. God is the God of new beginnings. That's the message, really, of the book of Ruth, and that's the message of the Bible, and that's God's word to you and I today. God's the God of new beginnings. Now, in, in chapter 2 last week, there were a couple of things I just skated over that I want to refer back to for a second. In Ruth 2, 1, it says this. It so happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. All right, so that's just said, and then it's told Ruth went out to work in the fields. Then at the end of the chapter, when Ruth comes back and says how this guy had been kind, here's what she said in verse 20. She said, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is our guardian redeemer. Now, I want to take you into something that was part of, part of, the, kind of the Old Testament biblical pattern of things back then. Let me just take you there for a moment. The phrase there we have, guardian redeemer, is sometimes translated as covenant redeemer and often translated as kinsman redeemer. I will probably use the word kinsman redeemer um, several times this morning because that's the expression that I learned many years ago when the only Bible we had was the King James Bible. So if I talk about kinsman redeemer, which is not exactly a phrase we use in everyday language, I know. But that's what I'm talking about. What was it? It was a legal term for someone who had the obligation to help out a relative who was in serious trouble. So here's what was established in the, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. There's a lot about this. Here's what it was. If a Hebrew got himself into debt, 
He could clear the debt by serving the person he owed. All right? You say, I'll go work for you. Now, it's not really very strange because some of you will go to work later today for Visa. <laughs> You're not working for you. So, but if a close relative kinsman was able to, it was actually his responsibility to pay the net, the debt, and redeem and free that family member. And then again, if a Hebrew had to sell off land to pay a debt, if he had a close person, a kinsman, that person was obligated to redeem the land and buy it back for him. Okay, here's where it gets interesting. See what you think of this one. If a Hebrew woman was widowed before she had children, it was the kinsman's responsibility to marry her, both for her protection and to ensure the continuity of the family line. And then the fourth thing was that if a Hebrew was killed by someone, it was the kinsman's responsibility to avenge that death. So in whichever of those dire situations that Hebrew found themselves, the only hope, the only solution was for there to be a redeemer who was part of the family. They had to be related. And that's where we come really at the start of chapter 3. Because Naomi has already identified to Ruth and said, hey, wow, you met Boaz. Bo Boaz actually is a kinsman, and, and he could be the kinsman who redeems us, which would mean paying our debts and marrying you. That's why the story of Ruth is a story of redemption, from ruin to redemption. All she was and all she had been entitled to had been lost. She was in a hole that she couldn't get herself out of. Her only hope was that in her dead husband's family, there might be a kinsman who could redeem her. The first question was, was there anyone? And the second one was, would they be able to pay the price? Now, let me say this. While, while Ruth is an actual historical character, okay? This is, not, this is not fiction. She was an actual historical character, and you can find her whole family line in the first chapter of the book of Matthew. The fact is, the story of Ruth is also a story of where we once were, needing a redeemer. The truth is, there was a time when the Bible says we were without God and without hope in this world. And some of you may be there today. Without God and without hope in this world. So what was our hope? How could we be redeemed from that? We couldn't get ourselves out of the hole. We couldn't buy ourselves peace of mind, peace of heart. We couldn't find peace with God for ourselves. So, so what hope was there? And the pattern established in the Old Testament was that if somebody was, 
in a dire position. If there was a kinsman who could redeem them, then the kinsman did that. I want you to bear that in mind as I read these verse, this verse to you about Jesus from Hebrews 2.14. Since we, God's children, are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. The story of Ruth is a story of new beginnings for one woman and for, for, for that family. But also in that, we see a bigger picture. We see the picture of your salvation and of mine. There is no way we could save ourselves. There is no way we could pay the debt that we owed God. There was nothing else that could get us out of that because Lord knows we tried plenty. But the reality is there was only one way out, and that is for somebody who's one of us to pay the price for us. So the Son of God became human, flesh and blood, became one of us so that, he was, so that he was able then to pay the price for your salvation and for mine. And when Jesus died, he became our kinsman redeemer. That's the message of the gospel. That is God's plan of redemption. Jesus became one of us so that he then could redeem us and he alone could pay the price for our salvation. And as so many of us here today can testify, when we trusted Christ and recognized him as our redeemer, God gave us a whole new beginning and life was turned around. And God is still the God of new beginnings. He's, he still is. So Naomi, knowing the way they did things in Israel, and, and Ruth didn't because she was from Moab, Naomi says to her in, in chapter 3, verse 2, isn't Boaz our close relative, the one with whose young women you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Guys, women are devious creatures, aren't they? <laughs> Just saying. But I better be careful because I've got to go home. <laughs> Maybe it's time for us to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. The, the barley harvest was coming to an end, and there was a kind of a finale dinner and celebration and whatever else. And here's what Ruth said. She said, once the celebration is over, he's going to go and he's going to sleep in the barn or wherever where all the, where all the barley's harvested so that he's, he's guarding it actually for the night. So when he goes in there and when he goes to sleep, here's what you've got to do. I want you to go in there and lay at his feet. Now, that was, this is traditional. Don't read anything into that that's not there, all right? So this is the way they did stuff. So she went in there to lay at his feet. Now, this is the beginning of the absolute exciting next part of Ruth's life, where she changes from being a, an outcast woman from a foreign country to somebody actually who comes in the bloodline of Christ. This is the beginning. And here's how her new beginning started. Okay, there are three things I'm going to point out from 
chapter 3 about new beginnings. Firstly, her new beginning started, and, and new beginnings maybe will start for you. Number one, listen to others. Listen to others. The mother said, tonight, I want you to go, just lay, just lay at his feet. And verse 5 says this, Ruth said, if you say so, I'll do it, just as you've told me. She didn't know how they do things in Israel. She didn't know, you know, exactly what this whole deal was all about. It was a strange custom. She didn't really know what to do. She was out of her element. Ever been there? Yeah, me and you both. Heck, I listen to stuff and I see stuff and I look around me sometimes nowadays and I think, what world am I living in? I was not born into this world. Dear Lord. And sometimes we're not quite sure where things are at or which way to turn. It's a complicated world and life gets complicated at times. That's why it's a blessing, folks, to have wise friends and wise family members. But I've got to tell you this, they don't always get it right either. You know who does? God does. And when I talk about listening to others, I want to encourage you. If you need a new beginning, it starts with listening to God. I finally, I think it was last Sunday, I, I finally got to see the movie Jesus Revolution. Right? A lot of you have seen that, I'm guessing, right? Well, fantastic movie, isn't it? If you haven't seen it, you, you need to get it. You can get it um, now on your TV from one of the streaming services. That's how I saw it. But it's a fantastic story. And... Um, you know, I, I, I can remember the Jesus movement and everything else from, you know, we were obviously in the UK then, but I remember it, but I had no idea of, of, of the immensity of what was going on. And, and, and one, of the, one of the things I really, I really liked was Chuck Smith had this pattern that whenever he got up to preach, he would hold up his Bible and everybody else would, and he would say, this is God's word. Now, most of us don't carry our Bibles to church anymore, do we? Uh, we bring our phone, maybe. Or, or because we got the Bible on our phone or whatever. Or, or it's up there on the screen, the verses that we refer to. It's all there. It's like, you know, we don't. I, you know, for, for years, I, I, I'd, I'd carry my Bible back and forth. Um, Nowadays, I pick this up on Sunday mornings and I use it to preach from and I put it back down again and pick it up the next week. Now, I don't want you to think I don't read my Bible during the week, but it's like this is my preaching Bible, but I, I, you know, I read the Bible to a great degree. Most of the time, I read it in some format online. Phone, iPad, computer, I do. But you know something? It's not a bad thing now and again just to pause and say, this is God's word. Amen. This is God's word. Okay. You want to know which way's up in this world? This is God's word. You want to know who's right and who's wrong? This is God's word. You want to know what our standard ought to be? This is God's word. This is God's word. That, not just that it's a special book or a holy book, but this is God speaking to us. And we do well to listen when God talks to us. Listening to others will perhaps get you out of the rut you're in, and particularly listening to God. 
Because folks will listen to all kinds of things from all kinds of people and all kinds of sources nowadays. And, and in the 21st century, and the fact is this, you know, with the internet, with social media, with whatever else, there are voices bombarding us all the time. And that's why it's good for us now and again just to remind ourselves, whatever everybody else says, this is God's word. That's a great position to be in. People will run after everything. But they did it in Bible times. They did it in Old Testament times. In, in Isaiah 8, verse 19, the prophet Isaiah said to the people, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? You know who we should be listening to? We should be listening to God. Listen to what God is saying. If you need a turnaround in some part of your life today, a new beginning, the first step is to listen to God. You know the first miracle that Jesus did? A lot of you will be able to, you know, if I say, what's the first miracle? He turned water into wine, right? And all the Italians said, amen. So, <laughs> right? So, Jesus, Jesus, turned, Jesus turned water into wine. Now, it's... Like of all the things he could have done, how come that was kind of the first thing? Well, the, the thing is this, okay? So he was at this wedding and uh, weddings went on for days in Israel at that time. And uh, people ate and drank for days. And then Jesus' mother comes to him and says, they've got a problem, they've run out of wine. And Jesus virtually says, uh, why are you troubling me? Why are you bothering me with that? And... Uh, then she turns to the servants. Now, this, is, this, I think, is the crux of that miracle. It's not just about water and wine. Here's the crux of it. She turns to the servants, and here's what she says. I'll quote King James again. Whatever he says to you, do it. I think there's a reason that's the first miracle recorded in the Gospels. It's in the second chapter of John's Gospel. Because it establishes a principle that God wants us to live by. If you need a miracle, if you need things to turn around, if you need a new beginning, whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. That's where it begins. It begins by listening to others and begins primarily from listening to the voice of God. So that was the first thing. Ruth said, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do. And then let's look at this as we progress through this story when she goes in to where Boaz is sleeping. The second thing is this. If you need a new beginning, acknowledge you need help. Acknowledge. The way this kinsman redeemer thing worked, it was not that some guy had to be scouring match.com to see if there was somebody that he had to marry. What actually, the way it worked was that the woman who was looking for someone to redeem her had to ask him to redeem her. So Ruth waited till the harvest was finished. They'd eaten their harvest meal, and Boaz was alone. And 
here's what Naomi said. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down, then go in there, lie at his feet, to let him know you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. So there was no guarantee here of the outcome for Ruth. It wasn't a slam dunk. There was a risk that she could be rejected. And in fact, there was not only a risk she could be rejected. If she was rejected, maybe she'd lose her favor for just gleaning in the fields and she'd screw everything up totally. But she did what she'd been encouraged to do. And as she lay at his feet, she was saying, I need your help. I'm available for marriage. So he wakes up in the middle of the night. Can you picture this? He wakes up in the middle of the night. Now, now no flashlights or bedside lamps or anything else back then, right? So he wakes up and he's kind of, I don't know what he's doing, stretching in a bed and needs to go to the bathroom. Lord knows, right? So he, so he, 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 he wakes up and he senses somebody there. And, and I mean, that would scare you, right? So, 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 so he wakes up all of a sudden and, and he says, who are you? Who are you? What are you doing here? She said, I'm Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protective wing. I need you to help me. You're my close relative, you know, in the circle of covenant redeemers. You do have the right to marry me. Take me under your protecting wing. Can I just remind you of this? There's no great virtue in going it alone. In fact, you can't. We weren't designed for that. You'll crash and burn if you're determined to do that. We all need to be under God's protective wing because that's the way God planned it from the beginning. And I'll tell you something else, and we all need one another too. But the trouble is we place an unfair burden often on ourselves when we tell ourselves, I should be able to cope with this. I'm going to get through this. I'm, I'm going to be okay with this. And, and, and you know something? God is waiting to help us. God is waiting to come alongside us. And there's never any question whether he will. Because he always will. Recognizing we need help really is a huge step towards finding redemption. Year, years ago, um, back in the 1800s, even before I was born, back in the 1800s, there was a, there was a woman who was, um, she was a poet, Annie Hawkes. She lived in Brooklyn. And Annie Hawkes put this, wrote this into her journal one day. She said, one day as a young wife and mother of 37 years of age, I was busy with my regular tasks during a bright June morning. Suddenly, I became so filled with the sense of nearness to the master that wondering how anyone could live without him, either in joy or in pain, these words came to my mind. And this thought took full possession of me. And she wrote these words, which if you've been in church circles for a long time, you might recognize. 
She wrote, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. And sitting here this Sunday morning, whether you're aware of it or not, that's true of every one of us. God, I need you. I need to live under the shadow of your protection. New beginnings start when you listen to God. And then when you actually acknowledge you need help. And then the third factor I just want to throw out there is this. And then we trust God's promises. We trust God's promises. In Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11, here's Boaz's response to her. And now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are. A real prize. Boaz said, don't worry about a thing. That's like the first, you know, that, that's kind of the, the kind of statement that, you know, either gets people even more flustered, right? Don't worry about a thing or, 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 or earns you a slap, you know. It's like, don't worry about a thing. It's like, but Boaz said, I don't want you to worry about a thing. And when we come under God's protective wing, He takes full care of us. And, and here's the thing. Ruth had built in a short time a tremendous reputation for herself. So, so Boaz's comment to her, to her there was, everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are. And here's what he says. A real pride. And the tragedy for a lot of folks is they don't realize how God views them. Ruth's just scraping around in the fields trying to get enough leftover barley to get by. But Boaz has come to recognize she's a real prize. And you might be scraping around a bit at life right now, but never lose sight of the fact that in God's eyes, you are a real prize. Amen. Never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of that. It's not what you're looking at right now. It's what he sees, and it's how God values you. In Hebrews 12 and verse 2, it says this about Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was ahead of Jesus? as he contemplated Calvary. What was there that was happy about that? And you know what the joy that was set before him was? You are and I am. Because Jesus knew that in dying to redeem us, that we would be his. And he prized us that much that he was willing to go to the cross for us. There's never any question about how God sees us and how God values us. In Psalm, uh, in Psalm 30, in verse 5, it says this, His favor lasts a lifetime. 
You may say, well, I totally screwed up last week. His favor lasts a lifetime. You may say, well, you know, I, I, I went off down a track I should never have gone down. His favor lasts a lifetime. You may be sitting here today with the devil heaping condemnation and guilt upon you nonstop. You need to recognize his favor lasts a lifetime. You are a prize in the eyes of God. That's how he sees you. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, the Lord says, I love you people with a love that continues forever. That's why I've continued showing you kindness. God views you as a real prize. That's why he'll do everything he promised to do. And another reason he'll do everything he promised to do is because he's God and he can. He can. Ephesians 3.20 says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Ruth's life was about to totally turn around. She was going to have the kind of new beginning that she could never anticipate it, never have dreamed of. She'd come back from Moab empty, heartbroken, poverty-stricken with nothing. And now suddenly everything was about to change as a new beginning was getting teed up. And here's the fact, folks, here this Sunday morning, God is still the God of new beginnings. Listen to his voice. Listen to the voice of God. Follow what he says. Ask him for his help and trust his promises. You were never meant to struggle through on your own. You were made for God, Amen. by God, and for God. You are prized by God. And if this Sunday morning, life challenges, struggles, have left you feeling isolated and alone, I want to encourage you to come back under the shelter of the arms of Almighty God. Say, God, I'm trusting you. Trusting you with my life. Trusting you with my issues. But God, I'm believing that you've got good things for me. The new life that Jesus promised. Let's pray together, please.